Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 26 of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments. My guest tonight uh, works in health technology, and that's an area of, uh, of tech that I've never personally gained any exposure to. Um, it's sort of seen as another world, I think, to, um, to software engineers, developers, um, who work in, say, fintech or broadcast technology. It's always kind of over there, and we get calls about maybe working in this industry, but I have no idea what goes on there. So I thought, who can educate me on that? Who can who can talk to me about some of the weird and wonderful um, initiatives and projects that are going on out there? Um, everything from, like, Elon Musk's brain chips to, I don't know, what weird and wonderful add-ons and, like, biotech things are we going to end up with in the next like 5 10 15 20 years so i'm i'm a blank canvas tonight and joining me to help paint on me that's a really weird intro uh is mr trilly chatterjee so please welcome trilly chatterjee to the show how's it going hi Aid. thanks for having me on and um, yeah painting on you that's what, what an opener <laughs> Um, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that justice. You know, Let's get out my uh, canvas and brushes. As as I was saying that, I was thinking, oh man, you're partridging so hard. We're going <laughs> to go down a partridge Not that Yeah. I am a blank canvas and I just want you to paint on me. So, uh, you, you, should, you should take uh, strength in the fact that that is both the weirdest and like the the intro that i'm most proud of now <laughs> yeah no no i i i think you could i get that i think you should put that on the uh on the highlights reel for sure sure um but yeah yeah um i yeah I've, i thank you very much for having me on i'm delighted to be able to speculate wildly about the future of technology in a way that will probably leave me feeling slightly out of my depth throughout thank you sure yeah no i mean i i'm super uh super curious and uh and just sort of keen and hungry to find out what's going on out there in health tech because you you i suppose it's like anything when you work in technology you get in a bubble and an echo chamber uh where like for example i do web development and all day every day i'm i'm following <laughs> web developers on twitter and the people that i work with are sharing web development articles and stuff and then there's this whole other universe of things out there and the most i ever gain exposure to it is the odd headline when something like that elon musk brain chip what's it i keep calling it brain chip it's Neuralink, right i think it's Neuralink. yeah Neuralink yeah. is the name i think and it sounds exciting right it gets me sort of g'd up i'm like wow you know we've really come a long way um but i know nothing about the specifics of it and uh and and indeed like how realistic it is because for all i know it could just be this sort of deluded billionaire up on a stage going yeah we're gonna turn everywhere we're gonna make the we're gonna make people who haven't walked for 20 years walk again you know and it sounds like holy shit this guy's really do you know but is it I d well actually before we get into like elon musk let's let's give people a little bit of an introduction to to you and like your background so you work in health tech but tell us specifically what you do truly so um i'm what's uh, known as a product manager so i'm a senior product manager in nhs digital i work currently in a program called nhs pathways um, that is um, what we'd call the clinical decision support system. Effectively, the big kind of really sophisticated, really uh, complex decision tree mm. that underpins 111 and 999, uh, some 999 services. Um, so it's the thing that when you know you call up 111 or some 999 services, the call operators will be using to understand what questions they should ask you um, and what to do on the basis of that that eventually leads you to an outcome like maybe 
getting an ambulance or going to a, a, being told to go to a service. So it's it's it, that's that's something I've moved on to recently. But I've worked at NHS Digital for about five years. I spend most of that time on the NHS website. Um, and over the last year, obviously, our department has been doing tons and tons of work uh, to support the coronavirus response. Um, I haven't managed to be on some of that work. And yeah, it's, we're coming into kind of obviously this this next phase with vaccination um, rollout, but we're supporting work all over the system. Which um, which side of this are you, like in terms of glasses half full, glasses half empty? When the coronavirus hit, were you like, thank God I work in health tech. This is so exciting and I really feel like I'm going to make a difference. Or were you... Oh fuck! I should have worked for, like in fintech. I should have like this is a huge mistake. Yeah, weirdly, yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, it's like uh, it, it. I have some very particular memories also of 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 moments throughout this the course of this pandemic. You know, you know, we the first time that myself and my colleagues, you know, Boris goes up on um the you know I should say the prime minister. Yeah, with, yeah, yeah. with due respect. Um, uh, goes up on um, national television and said nhs.uk slash coronavirus and, and I'm, I know that a ton of my colleagues you know I've worked with for years have, have worked on that and got that there in front of kind of you know where it where it needs to be so um and that's 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 just one example like there's there's obviously work going on across the department that um that you know supported all forms of the response so you know, things from um uh, you know analyzing the data to understand who might be um, more at risk um, from from coronavirus, mm. uh, delivering you know lots of different kind of um, you know initiatives, public information that's constantly needing to be updated, you know the, the example that I meant um, you know NHS pathways, so mm. that that obviously had to account for start accounting for a new medical condition that was you know you know um, across the world, so uh, uh, you know a, a new virus um, and responding to that need so that people knew know where to go and yeah, staff yeah. know you know where to direct people so, so you know there's, there's there's lots it's 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 kind of a an it's it's an invisible say an invisible infrastructure but it, it obviously because it's you know it's digital it's technology it's i t it's it's everywhere without necessarily being yeah um, yeah visible so to it, people how it how it's it sounds things. like it was sort of quite quite rewarding quite like fast-paced and definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely has been that um um i think that there was obviously i think you know um there's a point in the uh in the winter in the second wave i think that we all kind of saw coming and all knew that there would be a point before it and there would be a point at the other side of it mm. and it was kind of about you know getting through it no matter what you're working on um and i think that you know my own experience of it has been um, you know, coming out of the other side of that kind of March, April, you know, there's a kind of a, 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 a breathing outside. Obviously, things continue to happen, but yeah. you know, you know, that's a point at which you can start reflecting on what what has just happened and and what what's coming next. You can kind of breathe again, and yeah. I definitely definitely felt that felt that side, you know, throughout the system to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, it must must be hectic as fuck. I mean, I sometimes I think of the most chaotic, stressful days that I have when. Um, you know, there's a risk that, I don't know, some somebody's account may have been wiped and this is prohibiting them from logging in and then trading again. And that's that's that feels like the end of the world when it's me that's on the line for it, right? Or when we're just fact-finding, we're trying to work out what's gone wrong, like how is this person's account? But that is small fry compared to like a, a, a pandemic response on a national slash international scale 
having to build the systems and 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 applications around that to support that and to know that you're making a difference and that the decisions that you make are going to have real world effects whereas you know i'm not I'm not diminishing the seriousness of somebody losing like you know five thousand dollars on a trade or whatever but you know it's not it's not the same is it Definitely, I definitely everybody who works here has like a phenomenal awareness of the sense of purpose of yeah, you know yeah. and the place that we hold within the system and the work that I, you know that we support across the system being of like you know vital importance. I think, um, but it, it, it doesn't stop it kind of being work that we can also kind of be excited about and also kind of be also feels like work you know sometimes in the ways that you know that we don't all like you know, yeah. um, but it but it, but. I think, yeah, I think I personally speaking for myself, it's it's been a major motivator in me kind of um, coming here and staying here in, in terms of like just the range of things that we've got to do, you know, for the last five years have been in various parts of the, the you know, the department and all of us are trying to yeah. like evolve practice effectively, you know, up, you know, upskills so that we can, a we're able to do more and better. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's cultural work as well as it is, you know, technical everyday work and it's reflection and it's all of those kinds of things. Sure. Um, and the longer I've been here, the more that kind of stuff has been happening and so it, there's a heartening thing like it's almost like you know you you get to feel like your efforts you know uh, are doing something that that is magnified just by virtue of where you're making those efforts if that makes sense yeah, yeah you know i think so. that, and, and that is kind of like a given that you that other you know in other places you might not get that as a given but it is you know a perk and a privilege of the job fantastic fantastic yeah. did so. you did you always want to get into health tech not specifically no like my my path into this was quite as as we find with many people like this is a very like common story everybody's kind of got their own riding path through careers yeah. um mine came through like a series of coincidences so i um when i went to university i studied my undergraduate was physics i you know i did all right in that like i i ended up saying coming out of it saying like i find 25 percent of it fascinating mm. and 75 percent of it dull and not quite what i was hoping for and i realized it was because i liked the idea of um principles like foundational principles physics is great for that yeah um but i also liked like human applications and actually i found it really difficult to get super excited that even though you know the awe of the universe is kind of contained within physics i found it really excited uh, difficult to get like excited about lasers and space like it was right. i don't know it's weird like put them in sci-fi i love them but like studying them deeply wasn't my thing and yeah. i realized it was because i liked the human domain and that's where like technology kind of came into it and i ended up then doing like a postgrad de degree in, in technological design. I was hoping to do research into games of all things because I was like that way inclined. Um, but that never didn't pan out. I ended up working in market research call centers for a while. Right. Um, and then I kind of just like, you know, it was this was around the top, just a, a couple of years after the economic crisis kind of kicked in. Um, and I ended up knuckling down saying, right, I've got to get a job. We've got a job in the civil service in the department called the um, Office of the Public Guardian. So we're doing deputyship casework, um, which right. was to do with when you lose mental capacity, what are the legal provisions for that? So, you know, who, could, who can manage your affairs? What are they obliged to do? What, what, what legal 
you know. And if you don't through, go through that, you go through like a co-op process. So it was all of that kind of casework, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Um, but I was even then I was basically into the technological side of that, and I was learning like our systems needed upgrading. They were like decades old in some instances, and or at least you know a decade old. And then you know we needed to think about how they needed to change for the department, and that basically kind of snowballed into this line of work over like a, like a period of a few years. Yeah. I, I, I applied for the civil service like fast stream, which is the government grad scheme, ended up in their technology stream just as a kind of a wave of change was happening in technology that started around 2009-10 where government started doing like basically doing digital things differently um developing services in a a way that's more in line with the practices of the 21st century that you'll be familiar with as a web developer but broadly user-centered design agile development that kind of stuff yeah um and bringing bringing our kind of the mission to bring our public services into that realm kind of began spread through government and that's basically created created my career path ahead of me wow yeah. um is, is this kind of domain of of public sector um digital like services and technology and, so, and it's a great place to work like it's I, I i enjoy it if you're driven by that kind of work i find i think it's been i think i feel phenomenally lucky actually yeah yeah um, i think it's it's an interesting one because when when i used to work in an investment bank years ago um and again like when i went to work in a professional services firm when we got i I, i'm an ex-recruiter by the way before like my my own sort of series of coincidences was uh i had um i i I sort of fell into a recruitment admin job when i first moved to london and then i became a recruiter and then i volunteered for a load of projecty stuff and then with that i became a project consultant and then a project coordinator and then finally i retrained as a web developer when i was like 35 um so it's like again like a, a series of sort of just i don't know fortunate moments where i just met the right people at the right time and and opportunities were presented to me it's yeah that wasn't really the reality for most people and i think even more so with kind of you know the internet and everything that has that has changed yeah you know it, it, it is more kind of incremental but also a bit more like this weird choose your own adventure of 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 like purpose and work i don't know what you want to call it yeah but you know I... it, and it ends up being that way and the more i meet people the more i realize that that's the norm rather than the exception yeah well don't really. say that because i feel exceptional when... <laughs> <laughs> we're all allowed to feel yeah, exceptional yeah. we all are exceptional that's but the it's, point it's like like so, sometimes i think like is it just that i was presented these opportunities and therefore it's a kind of privilege like should i really respect and acknowledge my privilege that i met say individual x and they offered me the chance to retrain and like retain my salary that i i already had rather than having to drop out go to university accrue a mass of student debt and student loans like not everyone could have done that but then i also sort of arrogantly feel like if i hadn't have met that individual and i had known how i'm gonna sound like such an asshole now but uh, if I'd known how easy it is to pick up the basics, the fundamentals of web development just through like YouTube tutorials and like uh, and that sort of thing, I think I probably would have taught myself anyway. Mm-hmm. But I, if I'd never met that individual, I don't know. I couldn't guarantee it's that a, I would have. 
It's interesting because also, like, in the span of time that you're talking about, mm. the nature of the resources that you have in order to teach yourself has exponentially right, yeah. exploded, right? Yeah. Um, and and, and the, the concept that you can teach yourself certain things and that there isn't access, there isn't, there are fewer barriers between human learning, at least if you have, you know, have access to technology, um, that has that is kind of irrevocably now yeah. shaped how we think about these things. We're talking, you know, you think about the things around remote work and the direction things have shifted because of the pandemic, but then now in the aftermath of what that, what that kind of means for people and what that means, you know, the, fu- the term the future of work has become a massive cliche already, but it is an important thing. It's because it is such a massive thing, but, but, what what we see is just this you know this range of options opening up and a granularity of options almost yeah. to a certain extent yeah i think you're um, right i think it was we we're already on a course to allow people to self educate uh, and mm-hmm. that is especially true of things like web development and i would say back end development as well but i th- i think i'm right in saying that typically if you're going to do like server side stuff you would probably get into web development first i think it's quite rare that people would jump straight into like c sharp or something maybe i'm wrong might be talking out my bum but also if the tools are the medium that you work in then you have like first dibs right, right yeah. so so there may be those kind of biasing factors at play that i'm always like open-minded to kind of those kind of arguments around how the system behaves at scale that we could not conceive because we just don't see how systems work yeah. but like little things magnifying themselves at scale because you know I think about that kind of stuff all the time because it's yeah because it's kind of what we what we kind of do it's 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 it, you know get the opportunity to think of that scale quite a lot but obviously you know what web designs means in this context is quite quite interesting yeah. it, it comes to like you know principles become important design principles become really important because of their um, ability to scale yeah, when you yeah. talk the systems that we kind of work with and services that we work with so if if you've been doing if you've been working in health tech for like five years you must have seen some really weird and wonderful projects like uh, that have arisen and been discussed and like I, I mentioned earlier about you know typically this sort of stuff the exposure that i get to health tech is when something makes it onto uh, the y combinator page or when it makes its way onto the sky news tech news bit um which invariably is stuff like the uh, like the Neuralink shit, right? But you must have heard of weird and wonderful projects going around, like in the NHS. Is it like is there anything that you can discuss, or are you sort of prohibited from talking about them? Or uh, is there anything so that makes you I... go, "Whoa, that sounds gnarly"? And not gnarly. I, I don't. I don't know if I have any, any awareness of things that I would consider gnarly. I, I think. I can I can answer your question and also not answer your question. So I've, I've I know that I've been involved in things that remarkably kind of significant, um, though I probably can't really go into lots sure. of detail about yeah. them. But the, one of the things that the last project that I worked on before I you know worked here was um, the kind of Q COVID implementation. So I don't know if you heard about um, Oxford University did some research um, and it you know mm. developed an algorithm which allowed us to understand who would be um, most vulnerable. Um, from from COVID, at least based on the analysis that they had done. Oh, really? Um, and, yeah, and so that was in February 
you know, that, that led to a bunch of people being added to what was in the shield of patient list. Mm. Um, and, and as a result of that kind of, it, you know, if they needed to be kind of bumped up the prioritization for, for vaccines. Yeah. So, what was, you know, it, you, I, I don't know if you're at liberty to say, but have they revealed what these defining factors slash variables are? Oh, yeah. It's published. It's available. Okay. So what I actually did was make a service available to clinicians mm. that they could they could use to kind of use the kind of algorithm and individual kind of patients. But it's all there. It's all publicly kind of available on mm. the NHS digital website. If you want to learn more about it, obviously it's it, it's all there and, and accessible. Um, but yeah, it's so like I, I guess my awareness of opportunities kind of beyond that. I guess the thing that I'm more aware of and the thing I think more about and it's part this is part of my role at NHS Digital mm. um, is I'm a, I'm a practice lead for product management so I think a lot about kind of um, practice like how we do things basically like practice of 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 of, of um, web development and of um, I guess you know uh, you can call it R&D for 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 health technology and services mm. basically like um, um, and yeah that's so I think a lot about how how do you make the best design decisions when you have like complex health domains that require a multiplicity of expertise in order to understand um, and that you need to work out what the problems are that you need to solve and then design technology um, if, if, you, if you find that it's viable, you know, or feasible, yeah. design technology to meet those needs. And that's a kind of a broad, you know, that's, that's a thing that that's a set of skills or a set of yeah. ideas that can be to a lot of different problems and that's why I'm excited excited about it so I, I I don't you know there are specific technological applications but all of those technological applications fundamentally need human organizations to kind of work yeah at an optimal in an optimal kind of way to get but to get the best results is there... and that's the kind of stuff that I think about more and are more kind of engaged with obviously specific things when they become relevant but yeah but there's that, that's been, more like just just to be super clear there's not been any projects that have like flown their way across your inbox where it's like this is called project um falcon and then you read the synopsis of the project and it says like this is to like this is what we're researching at the moment is to allow a guy who's cut his own dick off to grow another dick like <laughs> <laughs> i haven't like like have i heard a technology that that is essentially kind of like sci-fi in nature yeah. <laughs> like no oh, <laughs> not unfortunately no yeah no i i, I have i haven't got I've, I've got stuff that's you know impressive how am but, i gonna grow I, this I, I think, back <laughs> well I, I i don't know how you got it chopped off in the first place <laughs> I, I, like you need to be more careful with dick i think yeah yeah clearly you but, should just be careful how you feel that like it's it's it, it sort of amazes me but depresses me as well like that so you could work in health tech but there's nothing like really sci-fi happening because it's i i mean i think i'm probably being deliberately boring um but you know i i think i think yeah i i, I think when like working in health and um, for me is i i think really about the potential of being being able to kind of deliver like improvements to the system like yeah, that yeah. that idea of like all of this information technology it just doesn't exist in a bubble everything kind of has a purpose mm. and it's the process of helping people work through what that purpose is and you know what it ought to be and basically kind of running r&d on on lots of those different things but the problems themselves they can be quite you know they can range like they can range from um being quite you know um 
so you know, uh, we, lots of stuff we we do is about like what what are the right words to use to help someone through this particular set of circumstances. So if the circumstance of having a particular um, condition, like, I don't know, diabetes, mm. or something a little bit more urgent where you're trying to work out, like, what does this rash mean? Like, all of those things. And really thinking through that process and understanding, like, when this happens to you, mm. what are you likely to, where are you likely to go and why? What are your concerns likely to be? What, you know, if it's, you know, things, and there are, you know, there's a huge, obviously there's a huge range of, of, of different conditions and being able to kind of tailor those things to make your experience of life better when, if you encounter that thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I get it. That's, 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 that I think is where I, you know, so it doesn't have to be remarkably kind of whizzy, lightsabery tech. Yeah, yeah. To, 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 to have like, you know, a, a, an excitement and a significance to it. Yeah, like a real world, uh, like positive output basically yeah yeah that's fundamentally yeah that's cool i mean because it's like you couldn't you know sometimes you know not all the time but sometimes you can measure that in lives yeah so that is that is that is a um i think something that we all you know we're all aware of and if we're lucky enough to do something that you know contributes i think we feel like very happy about it yeah i get that let's let's um let's skip forward to sort of futurism to some extent so (laughs) Um, I've I've touched on this a couple of times now with the Neuralink uh, chip. Now, when I watch press releases or like press conferences and then read the press releases um, about these products, like to me, they sort of blow my mind. I'm like, how are we in the future? Like now, like this is amazing. Um, but there's also there's a, a you know cold hearted cynic part of me that's like, no fucking way is this gonna work. <laughs> Like he's gonna, I can see this a mile off. Like he's gonna find some guy who's on death row that's gonna agree to do it, and then they're gonna put the chip in his head, and something horrible will happen, or he'll just have a seizure and die, and then that'll be it. It'll be like pushed back. Like I just can't see it getting over the line and being <laughs> this, you know, fantastic thing that we're all putting in our heads in five years' time. He reckoned. Um, but that's just me. That's me. Uh, uh you know, a, a humble web developer with a cynical attitude. Um. You work in health tech. Um, what's your What's your take on those sorts of products when you see them being hyped? Are you Do you think that's realistic? Yes. I mean, with Neuralink particularly, I, I mean, I'm not. I, I won't claim to be well informed about it. But obviously, I, I know Elon Musk as a figure in our culture, mm. um, and um, for me, it's kind of. I guess it, what's the right question to ask about technology like that? Is it um, will we all have these chips in our head um, in 10 years time or is it fun- more fundamentally why would you want to have that chip in the first place what does it enable for you what need does it fundamentally meet mm. um, and I think you know it's there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with like technological capability being developed almost to w- without necessarily a full Com, you know because you get then general purpose technology so you then get things like ai which is you know in its applications potentially remarkably general public purpose mm. in in the diff- because because of the problem that it addresses and the way it addresses it so when i see something like Neuralink, i'm like okay brain computer interfaces interesting i i the what, what i'm having i guess i'm having trouble imagining it but we are starting to see you know degrees of control i think we you know to various extents over the last decade i think we've seen a lot more of those things but Neuralink is promising a particular i guess 
speed fidelity of kind of interaction between the brain and, and, and computers. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's absolutely feasible that we'll have working applications that will be marketed. I, I'd be interested to see, you know, the gap for me is the, is the kind of the human gap of like, what what is the process of getting one of these things? How does it feel? How does it feel as an experience to the person? Mm. You know, those are those. You know, what what is it enabled that they can't do? It's like, all oh, right, can they think their blinds open? And you know, what is it yeah. doing for them in their lives? That so, those are the questions that I have about Neuralink that I don't have answers for that would allow me to right. to gauge. Technologically, it may it may well be possible within the timescales that that you know, you know, I, I'm not I don't really know mm. because you know these things are sometimes exponential in the way that they develop. Um, I certainly know that that that's probably you know more the case for AI applications. But what I want to see is you know when human beings you know use this like where what is the motivation for them like and and does it I think what is it for them yeah the way that he framed it in the 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 youtube stuff that i watched about it was that it, he, this was going to be used to help like paraplegics regain control of their limbs and even that alone, I was like, well, that's fucking incredible. Because if you've ever met anyone who's lost or is losing control of, you know, and can't walk anymore or do anything for themselves, the idea, just the idea that they might be able to do this in five years, like that, just to have that hope there is a gift in itself, I think. Um, yeah. So, so the prospect, just, just the outside chance, let's say it's 5% or 10% that he can get this over the line, I think is incredible. Yeah, but where sure. I get slightly unnervy is, uh, I suspect what you were alluding to before, which is like, okay, look, if you can, if you connect your Neuralink to your electric blinds and you, 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 you know, all of your Internet of Things, great, okay, like on the face of it, that's probably going to make your life easier, right? You walk in the room, you think about the blinds, and they do whatever it is, it is that they do. Um, but then you've got to look at like file transfers. Like if you look at your wife or your girlfriend and then you you choose the wrong file or your mother-in-law, like you choose the wrong file and accidentally send the photo to your mother-in-law that you meant to send to your wife earlier. And it's a picture of you with your balls out. Like, so you, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it seems like an edge case and maybe they shouldn't halt research on it based on the silly shit I might do after a couple of beers. But it's like, it is there. Like if you're, if you're, connected and i'm going to assume that neuralinks can connect to each other and therefore you could do a file transfer and and then there's the whole like the question of like hacking like you can ha you could hack someone's phone so why why would you not be able to hack then you and if you hack the neuralink do you just get like all their data or do, can you fucking control their hands and make them punch themselves in the face these are <laughs> these are questions i don't have the answers to truly <laughs> well, no, I, I and I, I can't, I can't claim to have them either. But I, I guess, yeah, like you're, you're asking all kinds of specific questions about the technology there, and I think, and um, you know, so there, there's a question in there about, you know, how, what's the directionality of control? Mm. Um, you know, I would work on the assumption that maybe it's one way. You think out, it doesn't necessarily, you know, return its it, it impulses back in. But but then again, I guess that's disputable. Um, you know, I, 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 my, yeah, my intuition is that yeah, this will be something that is that is about kind of interfacing, and that um, 
the the thing you know the signals coming back in might be a a, bit, a bigger challenge given what you know we still have large you know we, we're learning more and more all the time but mm. the specifics of how you kind of translate input back in i think is probably a harder set of problems um um but yeah i'm happy to be informed otherwise um but yeah i i Sorry, I, I forgot what your specific question was, or whether you wanted me to just riff. <laughs> uh, I, do you know what? I don't think I asked a specific question. I was just yeah, <laughs> thinking out loud. Um... Yeah, I, I, the thing about I, I, I get less excited, I guess, less excited and less worried about neural link technology than I do about AI. But again, that's probably something that is affected as much yeah. by by that being part of the zeitgeist right now as well. Do you think? Um, um, machines and, and data that are kind of employed mm. in all of, yeah, you know, which I think will be employed like much more, you know, much more wide scale across a lot of different, you know, not even just in one, you know, particular mm. area or domain of profession, but actually across a wide range of them and therefore <laughs> have interesting, but also perhaps worrying combinatorial possibilities that we need to also think through as part of those design processes that I was talking to you mm. about earlier. Like there were some big questions emerging for which we need practice to kind of like, like pretty quickly right. because, because, because it's stuff that's possible with technology that we have today. And it's really about, you know, how fast that finds application in different domains. So, we kind of need to kind of make 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 a jump, and you know. So I was reading recently. Um, Do you mean like with regards to AI, like implementation of AI into? Yeah, the, yeah that's yeah. one. That's, that's that's certainly I think one of the big one of the major themes that's coming um, on at the minute. So I was reading kind of in preparation for this episode. I was reading um, um, a report done for the government a couple of years ago by. Um, um, an academic called Eric Topol, and it was basically about like healthcare technology and the future of it and the opportunities that exist. Mm. Um, and it envisions a future in which, um, you know, the clinical profession changes and, and becomes um, more oriented toward this kind of, uh, the kind of clinician that can use AI as a supporting tool and has that as a continued kind of reference. And Topol's kind of articulation of this is about, um, you know, how that AI presence being, you know, um, or, or say put a set of capabilities, um, you know, is a new skills requirement for clinicians, but also allows clinic, you know, clinical clinicians to work in a different way where they become more focused on, um, you know, patient care and delivering care. Mm. But, but also it requires them to be then more data literate and more literate with these systems and the vagaries of them and, you know, the limitations of them as well to make those kinds of judgments. Um, but that's not the only future that's possible because we're at this, you know, disjuncture yeah. and, and a lot of the decisions about how, about how this is practiced, how, you know, and how, how teams come together, how these systems are designed. Um, you know, obviously lots of ethical implications, obviously lots of those things, lots of implications about data, all those kinds of things need to be considered and integrated into practice for this to deliver the results that we need it to deliver. It's quite a, uh, a heady responsibility, isn't it? When you, like I, I was watching a documentary the other day about financialization and the documentary maker was saying that, uh, the, like, the, the 2008 crash and the current um, appetite for quantitative easing within the city um, can actually be harked back to 
um, Bill Clinton deregulating in 92, I think it was, and how like now they had uh, they had interviewed Bill Clinton and he said it was his biggest regret of his presidency that he had taken that decision at the time, but it seemed like the right thing to do for the economy at that time. Um, I, I, th I think I'm understanding that correctly from the shit that I saw the other day. Um, but it seems like there's a sort of parallel there now with AI in that, you know, we know that this technology is here. We know that it's going to uh, improve our lives um, massively over the next 5, 10, 20 years. But there's a there's a huge responsibility on people who do implement it into health tech or government or uh, finance that they do it in a way that is not going to have similar kind of repercussions further down the line the likes of which we can't possibly foresee at this stage do you know what i mean yeah absolutely and i think this is this is why i like i think you know the focus on practice that i was talking about is the thing that excites me because if there are general broad principles that you can apply in order to make the you know um, make those processes more successful or more likely to succeed or more likely to avoid risk and harm you know you know that's the stuff that's going to allow us to land these things in a way that has the maximum benefit and the minimum downside. Mm. And, and you know, that's kind of what we want. You know, we want, we want, and, and I think that that's why uh, my, certainly my, you know, uh, as I've kind of, you know, evolved through working in this industry and kind of developed practice and thought about it and talked to a lot of different people about it, um, I do come increasingly have a sense that there are, general principles of practice mm. you know that i'm not saying they're easy to implement some of them are actually quite hard but there is a way that you can think about um collaboration decision making bringing people together in these complex domains but also respecting the multiplicity of expertise and experience mm. that is required in order to understand the context and understand then what technology can do for people in that context and make all those kind of really you know sometimes very um uh, you know, uh, consequential decisions mm. um, about how things ought to be done, run experiments, run trials, um, you know, um, make from the most kind of granular thing from like what words should you use to, you know, understanding the architecture of the whole scenario in which an individual will have a decision made about their life by these technologies, perhaps in cohesion with another professional yeah, or a yeah. multiplicity of professionals. A lot of stuff that we do is about, you know, different groups of people with different functional responsibilities using the same tool and what are their different needs for information. Mm. Um, and those are things that, you know, it's difficult to make, to, to have confidence in the decisions that you're making without understanding the context. And I think that that's something that excites me about the things that I'm talking about is that it's kind of the evolution of the practice of software development to where we didn't have methods and process, or did not say didn't have, but didn't have in matching the sophistication of the technologies that we have to a certain extent to ask these questions or answer them effectively. Whereas like increasingly now we do, mm. and it's actually a question of, are these skills and disciplines and methods in the places where technology is implemented? Yeah, yeah. That's, that to me is like the big question, right? Think, because all one of the big questions. Yeah, like, well, one of um, the things you touched on a second ago is quite interesting to me in terms of like running trials where you're using say AI within a, it doesn't have to be health tech, like any industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm I'm midway through reading Charles Arthur's new book at the moment called Social Warming, and he gives a fairly oh. like in depth account of 
what's gone wrong with social media apps um and and specifically around um like algorithms within the facebook and twitter worlds where they would you know it's not that they set out to um to to radicalize your uncle into um you know becoming a uh, a saint george's flag waving racist uh like brexit supporter um anti-vax guy it's actually that they've the algorithm is just feeding him the things that it has worked out somebody like him is more likely to continue clicking on and so it's as far as it's concerned it's doing good because he's spending more and more time on um and i I suppose just going back to what you were saying it's going to be the same with with ai um cross industry where when we start implementing these um these new ways of working we're going to have to run these sorts of trials in a way that these apps did not they're going to have to say right okay what happens when this ai talks to this ml app and then both of them work in tandem and then all of that information goes off into this database and then like what what is the chain of events that takes place there's going mm-hmm. to be, have to be so much testing and i suppose to some extent that will slow down the progress and therefore you'll have to sort of wake up that that sluggishness with the overall cost benefit of using AI? Yeah. So, so this is something that, I, again, um, the balance of this is very, very tied in with the specifics of the application. It's kind of like, right. uh, I, or at least my understanding is that. So, like, I know in the, in, you know, in the project, in the QCOVID project that I was just on, you know, uh, the data literacy was critical. Mm. Like, a lot of the issues kind of around data require expertise to understand boundaries, limits, parameters, to also understand legal implications and all of those things and how all of those things kind of interact. Duties, public duties, all of those kinds of things mm. are get get kind of swirled into this mix around a particular application of um, we you know I, you know you talked about AI. We're not talking about an AI application here. We're talking about you know just an algorithm, not necessarily machine learning. But you know that you know those those principles come kind of into play. But I think it kind of it, it, it I something in the Topol report that I read that I remember was like it said something like in twenty years ninety percent of the NHS jobs will require some element of digital skill, mm. and all staff will need a degree of like digital and genomics literacy so i haven't even gotten to genomics i've not worked on something where genomics literacy is is pertinent directly Mm. um but but you know think about what that means in terms of a change of you know the way we think about these professions and and what they fundamentally do you know i think there's there's a lot of potential for kind of evolution but being in the foothills of this change it's it's difficult now to imagine what that looks like in terms of day-to-day care yeah but but it will be happening it's like i I say a lot of things particularly because i you know i work a lot in the like the changing of organizations and that doesn't necessarily happen overnight right i said like the, the iceberg melting which is an unfortunate analogy to be using our times but also quite apt for our times i think you know you don't necessarily see it move if you stare at it but if you can't go and you know come back two weeks later two months later you kind of see the change and i think it's going to be one of those shifts yeah that that happens where we see um more more care being successfully you know trialed and successfully delivered using these methodologies and practice kind of shifting over time mm. um i think a, a, like a marker to watch out for is when educational institutions that deliver the training start really shifting their curricula 
and, and, and orienting specific mm. targeted portions of time in say a medical you know medicine degree um nurse nurses training and you know cl any clinicians training um you know watch you know i watch those spaces in with interest because those are the places where you're going to start to see the shift in what the professions actually do yeah yeah okay well that's something to look out for for sure um I'd be interested to see if, if education does move in a kind of more vocational way in the next few years, because I sometimes I get into debates slash arguments with my girlfriend about this, where I'm like, well, when when our son gets to 18, would I encourage him to go to university if he wanted to go and study like social studies or um, or, or something that wasn't vocational? Or would I tell him to go to wherever his friends are going to uni and then actually just teach himself to code <laughs> and <laughs> like have a date. And then that way he can go there for the social aspect of it, but then he won't get lumbered with all of the debt afterwards. You know, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, that's an interesting, yeah, no, it's what, how long before that advice needs to be oh, he's four. delivered. In? He's four at the he's moment. Four, so. Right. Okay. So you've got 14 years to work that yeah, one out. Then. I mean, I've, I've already said like, he's, he'll be, he'll be working as a, assuming that programming is still a thing because i don't know if you're familiar with like these no no code solutions um but uh you know if if they haven't written programs to write programs more so than they already have then i'll just teach him to code so he can get involved in uh, in that i mean it, it will it will increasingly become a, a skill like obviously i think we're in that phase now where you know people are talking about coding younger and younger and yeah, younger so yeah. like, it, the Lego of a future generation. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Well, it's, yeah, it's not far off. Like, I mean, he's four at the moment. And then I was watching news stories about kids in China. Like, when they're about five or six, they start doing, like, if-else blocks. Like, moving little blocks of uh, conditions and shit. Stuff, like, think the basics of, of, of kind of algorithmic thinking, yeah. definitely. I I think about that things about critical thinking stuff as well, but, but at the same time, but, you know, let's not get too far. Too yeah, far. yeah. But, um, um, but yeah. So, no. yeah. we've only got sort of a few minutes left, so I, I just want to touch on, like, the future and, uh, like, what we think is coming down the line in, like, you know, sort of 10, 15, 50 or 100 years, right? So, um, mm -hmm. here's, here where, here's where my head's at. And uh, mm -hmm. you can you can take this and run with it, or you can tell me that I'm just incredibly cynical and I need to cheer the fuck up. Um, mm -hmm. But <coughs> I think the fear for some people, and by some people I basically mean me, um, mm -hmm. is is that in the future everyone will will have like some form of Neuralink or like whatever the actual product mm -hmm. is that ends up being that, um, and there will be this sort of convergence of, of different technologies. So it won't just be um, a chip that goes into your brain that helps you walk again, or or indeed does the file transfer stuff that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. It will be, it will also include gaming. Um, it will be like the, the then or modern equivalent of like VR. So you'll have, it will sort of project images over your face. You'll be connected into a network. It will basically be like the matrix, right? And as uh services and structures and public support as as all of these things begin to crumble and i don't know high streets and smaller businesses begin to fail because larger corporations uh don't pay as much tax and they corner the market of everything 
um, then the tax money will start to dip and dip and dip. And then there won't be enough money to pay for things like, you know, this service or that support structure over there or this school. And so what you'll end up with is is basically like a sort of matrix thing where people's actual reality lives are incredibly depressing. And so they will choose to spend more and more of their life in this sort of digital world where they can choose how they look, who they fuck, what drugs they can take. Uh, where they're living, you know, you're not stuck in some horrible, like, little dingy flat in, um, I was going to say Clapham, but Clapham's actually quite nice. Um, uh, but yeah, like, you, you're not stuck, <laughs> you know, like, dingy flat in Clapham might, might look good for a lot of people right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope I haven't lost any uh, <laughs> listeners in Clapham, but basically, um, uh, yeah, people will have a choice. They could, they can either you know live their reality lives in a dingy flat somewhere, or they can just plug in and then suddenly they're a rock star like they are, like exactly like the Matrix. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see something like that happening. Um, where where do you sit on that sort of like dystopia utopia scale? Is that do you think I'm I'm a manic so, depressive, or do you think no, like does that stuff worry you? Think- yeah, I also think that your scenario is basically, I haven't either seen the film or read the book, but that's basically the Ready Player One scenario, is that that you've described, isn't it? Is I'm that basically Ready Player One. Ready What's Player that? One, I think is, is it, it's certainly, it was a book, I think, and then it recently became a film, but it's basically about that scenario. The world is in a dystopic future, oh, right. but everyone can connect into this virtual world called the Oasis. And they can be any character from any part of pop culture that has ever existed ever. Amazing. Sounds um, great. And so you have like, you know, Duke Nukem against like Bugs Bunny. Mm. And, and, you know, and it, it's this heart weird, basically it's like, um Fortnite, but like huge Fortnite crossed with grand theft auto crossed with every yeah. every major triple a title of the last three decades um you know so you know uh, and is that future appealing to us um is that few or is that future um just the the gradual way in which things will tend i think there are forces that pull us in those directions mm. right um and but but what I what I think about is like um, what are the pulls toward it on a, like an individual human level, and what are the kind of pulls away from it? Um, and I think like the level of I'm not saying it's like it's not it's not encountered. I think in you know today you see people. I, in fact, actually, this is this is an interesting um, thing that you've that this question has sparked. So. Um, Bo Burnham's inside. Mm. Have you had a discussion with anyone on this pod, um, on this podcast about that? No, not yet. I've not seen it myself, but everyone's raved about it. Yeah, and it's fair, and it's fair to say it's one of those zeitgeisty things, and there are opinions on both sides about how worthy it is versus how popular it is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Um, but I think the thing that it does is it captures like this moment I think that we are in now fully as a culture, which I will just call internet skepticism. Right. Right. Um, you know, we've had internet utopianism for a few decades, right? Which was like, oh, it's new. Think about the possibilities. Yeah. Oh, things are becoming real. Look what it's doing. And now we're like at the point which is like, oh crap, like what what direction are we heading in? Yeah. What has this done to us and what will it continue to do if we don't kind of wake up, fix up and get our shit together? Yeah. Right. So I think inside and I feel this is my take. The reason why it's so popular 
is it so encapsulates that sense yeah. in, in, in all of its individual parts, whether you think they're, they're great or they're clever or they're worthy or whatever, the docu- the whole thing, the whole hour and a half of it manages to capture that. Oh shit. Yeah. yeah. Right. About the internet and about everything about it. Now we, you can, we can argue about whether that's right or wrong or whether it's overblown or whether, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's actually even a helpful thing to talk about all of those things we can debate. But I, but I, for me, that's the point. That's the Rubicon that we're at right now. Mm. And I, and I think that may, as much as you know, all of the pulls of the lure of shiny technology that distracts us, um, is pulling us in that direction. I think there's also this thing about, yeah, no, this is not. If I, if I, if I allow myself to be carried away with it, I, I don't think that this is a good thing. So it, we're all about. And I think again, you know, um, the the seismic shift in our ways of living and the interruption to life as we knew it mm. that I think the pandemic has created has created another space of reflection, um, and that obviously is the same thing that allowed insight to be created. But you know, it's where we are right now. Yeah, it is where we are right now. I think it's going to be where we are for a few years to come. In 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 various ways, it will evolve. But I think it's where we are right now, and so. I don't see, I won't say that future won't come to pass, but I, I think there are a lot of people, more people who are wary of that future now yeah. than maybe having, has been. Having been starved of human contact and reality for, well. Uh, this, is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is great. I would love to be sitting in yeah. a pub with a, having a fight with you right now. Andy. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. you know, that, that, that is how I would rather be having this interaction. But but we are ha- we are blessed to be able to be having this interaction sure, yeah. in this way. I, anyway, I have to remind right? myself in my lesser moments when I get frustrated by the pandemic. I think like, well, how lucky are we that this pandemic hit at the time that it did, and not like 1989, when that it would have shut time. the whole fucking world down, and we would have waited like 10 or 15 years for the vaccines and. <laughs> Um, How would this gone gone down in '95? Yeah, I, I think about that. Also, yeah. but also you could think about it. Would it have happened to the same extent and quite as fast? And there are all kinds of counterfactuals sure. and weird like ways you can think about that question. Yeah, but yeah. certainly has occurred to me. Yeah. Um, listen, man, I I could chat all night, but I've got to go. Um, so thank you so much for for joining me uh, tonight. And um, have you got any social media or anything that you want to plug? Point. I guess if you want to follow me and fit, you know, f- you know, find out vague random things that are going on at NHSD and in the world of product management and you know user-centered design practice in public sec in the public sector, yeah, follow me. I'm on Twitter at trillyc t r i double l y c. Cool man. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks again, and um, we'll catch up with you soon, no doubt. Thank you very much, Abe. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right.